Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather in your name this morning and call you Father and know that we are your children through the work of Jesus Christ at the cross, that we have gone from being rebels who are enemies with you to being your sons, to being your daughters, and that you as a loving Heavenly Father speak to us through your word. Lord, we pray that we may have ears to listen this morning. May we not just hear the word, but may we have that word affect our hearts so that we become doers of the word. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will do that act of changing us as we hear your word as your children. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've started not just telling Joshua to stop doing something these days, We've actually started to, when we tell him not to do something, we give him a reason for why he shouldn't do something. So when we want to cross the road, he is eager to just shoot out straight across it. We say, no, hold my hand, because if you don't, you'll get hit by a car and it will hurt. You will suffer if you go out onto the road without holding our hands. And so we explain to him, why he should do the right thing, which is hold our hand, which he hates to do, and he should stay at the curb so that he prospers, so he doesn't suffer. But of course, doing the right thing hurts him, doesn't it? There's one pain, that's getting hit by a car. The other pain is standing at the side of the road doing nothing. This is particularly a problem when we're waiting at traffic lights. It seems no logical reason that we are standing there waiting to cross the road. He is eager to cross, but he has to suffer. In silence, usually, I don't like the crying that comes when we tell him to do something and he whinges about it. No, he has to stand there and suffer in silence as he does the right thing in waiting to cross the road and then holding our hands as he crosses. Peter, in his book that we've been working through, has told us to do good and particularly to do the right thing when it comes to speaking to others about our beliefs. And we see that in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. We've looked at it in previous weeks, but there we see that he commands us to do something right. And he says there in verse 15, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. He's telling Christians, do the right thing. And what is the right thing? It's be prepared to give an answer to those who ask you for the reason for the hope that you have. But of course, whenever you answer people about why you are a Christian, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it means suffering, particularly if they don't like the answer that you give. They think that you're cold and hard-hearted when you speak about why you're a Christian. They don't like the truths that you proclaim, particularly when you start talking about sin and eternal punishment. People are often quite offended and they will hurt you as a result. They will be dismissive of you. They may even reject you as a friend and it will hurt. So Peter gives us this thing that we're supposed to do in answering people about why we are believers But of course he knows that we'll suffer for it and so he gives us a couple of other pointers about suffering. A couple of reasons why we suffer 
and also some comfort for why we suffer. And so first thing this morning I want us to note in the verses we're up to, which is verse 17 and 18 in 1 Peter, is a reason for suffering, and that is suffer because it is God's will. Suffer because it is God's will. And we see that in verse 17. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. God wills that people suffer. Now, whenever this doctrine comes up, people start to get a bit worried because it makes God seem to be a bit of a meanie, someone that they don't like. And so a number of Christians throughout history have tried to come up with ways of getting God off the hook, that he wills suffering in our lives. One way is that people think that God doesn't know about my suffering. He doesn't know what I'm experiencing. If he did, he would will that I didn't suffer. He would will me out of this situation so that I would prosper. But of course, God knows everything. He is omniscient. There is nothing he does not know. And he knows when you suffer. He knows all about it, and he knows more about it than you do when you suffer. So we can't get God off the hook by saying, he wills good in my life, but sometimes he doesn't know about the bad things that are happening. And so I suffer because he is ignorant of my suffering. Another way that people try and get God off the hook of willing suffering in our lives is that God wills that I won't suffer, but God is powerless to stop the suffering. That God wants good things to happen in our lives, but he is not able to make that happen. Other things get in the way, and particularly Satan they think has more power and so he is able to stop certain things from happening in our lives that are good and so we suffer as a result. God doesn't have complete power over Satan. Or the other one that people often throw out there is man's free will. They say God has given man free will and God has set it up so that he can't intrude in upon man's free will and so man comes along with his free will and causes suffering in a Christian's life. And God is powerless to stop it. Man has greater power than God because of the free will that God has given him. But that's not true either. God is sovereign. He is in complete control of all things, even your suffering. And that's why Peter plainly states here that God wills that people suffer. Verse 17, it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. God wills suffering in our lives. Now there is a little bit of hope there given for us by the fact that it's a conditional uh, sentence uh, phrase there. It says, if it is God's will. It means that you don't always suffer necessarily for uh, doing the right thing, that God wills suffering in your lives. It's possibility. It's not all the time, it's sometimes, if God wills that you suffer. So there is a bit of hope there. But then the question is still, why would God will that I suffer? Under what circumstances would he will that I suffer? And two circumstances are given there in the text. One is that God wills that you suffer when you do the wrong thing. Verse 17, it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. When you do the wrong thing, God in his justice can punish you for doing the wrong thing. And so you suffer for doing the wrong thing. 
Now, most people don't have too much of a problem with that. They like the idea that when uh, someone does the wrong thing, that they should suffer for doing it, particularly when someone has harmed you in some way, done the wrong thing towards you, sinned against you. It's very comforting to think that God is there, an all-powerful, all-knowing being, and he's going to make them suffer for what they've done against you. But the trouble is that when you consider that, that God punishes those who sin, we too are sinners. No one is exempt. We've all done the wrong thing. And so it's not a, a very comforting doctrine to consider that God punishes those who sin when we recognise that we all sin. We've all hurt our fellow man. And so we all deserve to be punished with suffering for what we've done. So that's one way that God punishes us. The other way that God punishes us, makes us suffer, is for doing the right thing as well. And this is the doctrine that causes people to be uh, quite concerned, that when we do the right thing, we suffer. And we see that in our own lives, in when we obey the commands of the authorities here or we obey the commands of our parents, we suffer. My example with Joshua, crossing the road, not wanting to cross, uh, not wanting to cross straight away and not wanting to stand there at the curb. He has to suffer there. Uh, but, of course, if he did the wrong thing and ran out in front of the car, he would suffer even more so. But Joshua, as an example, is a very mild form of suffering. It's more his impatience at the side of the road that he, he has to stand there and wait. But even severe suffering that we experience as Christians can be for doing the right thing. We've done what God has commanded. We've done what the authorities have commanded in this, in this country. We've done what our parents have commanded. And yet we suffer for doing it. And it is God's will that we suffer for doing the right thing. Now how can this be? Why would God do this? Well... There is a text in Romans that says that all things work for the good of those who love God. If you love God, somehow even in your suffering for doing the right thing, it is working for your good. You don't always understand how it is working for your good, but the promise is there in the scripture that even when you do the right thing and you suffer for doing it, God is accomplishing good in your life because you love him and he always does what is good for his children. So we've seen that we suffer because it is God's will. We suffer under certain conditions though. And so if you're going to suffer, what can you do about it? What should you do in choosing whether you're going to suffer or not? Because you have a choice. You can suffer under two circumstances that God has given. One is that you suffer for doing evil. The other is that you suffer for doing the right thing. What does Peter tell you to choose? Well, verse 17 makes it very clear. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And so my second main point this morning is suffer for doing good, not evil. You can choose whether you will suffer for doing the right thing or the wrong thing. And Peter encourages you to choose to suffer for doing the right thing. Now remember, this is all in the context of giving an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that you have. This is all in the, circum uh, the context of doing the right thing in witnessing to people. And you see that in 
the times that you've witnessed to people, that it can swing both ways. That you can choose to do the right thing and give an answer to someone, or you can choose to do the wrong thing and give the, uh, and not give an answer to someone, not witness to the non-Christian that is near you, and you can suffer in both circumstances. If you don't witness to your friends, to your family members, then they don't become Christians because you haven't witnessed to them. And what can happen? Well, they can become more and more rude, more and more unloving, and you may actually end up losing a relationship with that person and suffer direly because of the consequences of your not witnessing to them so they become changed and transformed and a a more uh, loving and kind and gracious person to you. And so you're keeping your mouth shut and disobeying what God has said actually causes you to suffer because the person that you would have enjoyed spending time with can become more distant, more like a non-Christian, more of a horrible person, and you actually suffer in the sense that you won't spend eternity with that person. You have that mourning inside you, knowing that you may have a relationship with them now, but you won't have them for all eternity. You won't have that friend or family member there with you in heaven. And so you suffer for doing the wrong thing and keeping your mouth shut. The other option is you open your mouth, you witness to the person, you give an answer for the hope that you have, and then they get really angry at you. And you suffer for doing the right thing. They don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. They, uh, They may not kick you out altogether, but they may become more distant from you. And because you've done the right thing in sharing with them the hope that you have, you suffer. So if you keep your mouth shut, you suffer. If you keep your mouth open, you can suffer. So what should you choose? You should choose to open your mouth and suffer for doing good. That's what he says in verse 17. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. If you have an option of suffering. Choose the right thing. Choose to open your mouth and witness to those around you. Because you know that when you choose to do the right thing, God will bless you for doing that right thing. And we see that just a few verses earlier when we looked at this text uh, a couple of weeks ago, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Verse 14 makes it plain that you will ultimately be blessed You open your mouth, you get uh, uh, stomped on by the non-Christian that you're witnessing to. God won't stomp on you, though. He is pleased with you for opening your mouth and witnessing to those around you. So we've seen reason why we suffer, and we've seen what we should choose. And We can choose either to suffer for doing good or for doing evil. Is there any comfort for you in this passage? Peter's talking about suffering here. He's talked about the reasons for suffering. Is there any comfort for you when you suffer for doing good? Because it is hard to do the right thing and then suffer for it. Well, that brings me to my third main point this morning. Suffer with the comfort of Jesus' suffering. Suffer with the comfort of Jesus' suffering. Peter now, in verse 18, describes a number of things about Jesus' suffering. And they can be a comfort to us. If we read the verse on its own, though, this is an excellent part of the Bible to get uh, the essentials of the Christian faith. 
Verse 18, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. This is often a proof text in any uh, evangelistic material that you come across. They will quote 1 Peter 3 verse 18 because it contains the essentials of Christianity. And if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, I want to remind you of those truths. What are those truths? That Christ died for sins. Jesus died on the cross, not simply as an example, not simply as comfort for us in our suffering. But he died for sin so that we could be brought to God. It says that there, verse 18, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous, as a righteous person for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. When you're not a Christian, you're away from God. You're an enemy of God. But through the cross, through Christ's death, you can be brought to God. And you see the other essential of Christianity there in that verse. He was put to death in the body but made alive by the Spirit. Jesus didn't just stay dead, but he came back to life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is essential to Christianity. Because if the resurrection didn't take place, Jesus' resurrection didn't take place, your resurrection doesn't have much hope either. So if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, I want to encourage you, understand these fundamentals of Christianity. That Jesus' death is the only way to get back into a right relationship with God. And you're to accept that death by repentance and faith, by repenting of your sins, being sorry for them, and trusting that Jesus died for you at the cross and has brought you to God. So here we have the essentials of Christianity given in verse 18. But we've got to remember that the context is not simply Peter laying out the foundations of Christianity like Paul does in the book of Romans. He's here talking about suffering. And Jesus' death is somehow of a comfort to us as Christians. And we know this is connected, verse 18, to what has come before about suffering by the little word at the beginning of verse 18. It says, For... Christ died for sins, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. It could be translated also as because. So how is Jesus' suffering helpful to you as a Christian when you suffer for doing the right thing? Well, there's comfort there. How do we get comfort from Jesus' suffering? Well, firstly, there's comfort in the fact that Jesus suffered unjustly too. Jesus suffered because of sins. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. He didn't die because of his own sins. Jesus never sinned. He was completely righteous. He suffered unjustly there at the cross. And so he can sympathise with you when you suffer unjustly. When you suffer for doing the right thing, he knows what you're going through. You may think, oh, my suffering doesn't come, uh, that Jesus doesn't really understand my suffering. Jesus knows about suffering more than you can even imagine. Jesus' suffering is so much greater than any suffering you can ever experience. Why? Well, firstly, Jesus' suffering was completely unjust suffering. Whenever you suffer for doing the right thing, 
you can bet there's a little bit of justice mixed up in that suffering. That you've probably said the wrong thing while you were saying the right thing as well. You've said it in a bad way. Remember last week, we, uh, two weeks ago, we looked at how you answer people, that you're meant to be gentle with them. So often you say the right thing, but you don't say it in the right manner. And so when you suffer, there's no doubt some justice mixed up in that suffering that you're experiencing. Yes, you are experiencing suffering unjustly, but there's a little bit of justice there. What about Jesus at the cross and his suffering? Did he deserve any of the suffering he experienced? No, he was completely righteous. And so his suffering is so much greater than anything you can imagine because it was completely he was completely righteous as he suffered there at the cross. And the other way that Jesus' suffering is so much greater than yours is the magnitude of it. What did Jesus suffer at the cross? He experienced bodily pain. He experienced rejection, shame, social stigma of being on a cross. You can experience those things. You could be crucified. You could be uh, looked down upon by the people around you. But Jesus also experienced hell there. He experienced the curse of God. And if you're a Christian, you won't experience that. You won't experience that intense suffering that goes on for eternity. And Jesus didn't just experience it for one person. He experienced it for many. The punishment of hell for many, many, many people who have become Christians over the years. His suffering is so much greater than anything you can imagine. And so when you come to God with your suffering, you know that he knows what it is to suffer. Jesus knows exactly what it is. And you can't say, Jesus has no idea about the pain I'm going through. Jesus knows pain. And you can definitely go to him for comfort. How else is Jesus suffering a comfort? Well, there's comfort in the fact that Jesus suffered once. Did you notice that word there? Once, in verse 18, for Christ died for sins once for all. Jesus suffered once. Now this is an important doctrine and Hebrews talks about this uh, quite plainly about the importance of Jesus suffering once that we do not have to make ongoing sacrifices to allow us into heaven or Jesus doesn't have to keep on making sacrifices to get us into heaven to pay for our sins. No, it is done. Jesus' sacrifice at the cross is sufficient. The suffering ended. It's all over. We don't have to, as the Roman Catholics do, offer the Lord's Supper and sacrifice Jesus again and again at the Lord's table with bread and wine. No, the sacrifice is done. Now, how is that a comfort for us in our suffering? Well, your suffering will end too. Jesus' suffering was for a set period and stopped. Your suffering is for a set period and will stop as well. Maybe that it goes on for a fairly long time. By this world's standards, you may live a long and painful life, but it will end. And what comes then? Eternal joy, eternal happiness. And so your suffering for answering people, for the hope that you have, is short-lived, just like Jesus' suffering is short-lived. It doesn't go on and on for eternity. It ends. And so you should be encouraged to continue opening your mouth despite what people may do to you. 
for the message that you tell them. How else is Jesus suffering a comfort? Well, there's comfort in the fact that Jesus suffered to bring people to God. You see that with his suffering there. Verse 18, For Christ died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Jesus, by his suffering, brought many, many people to God. And so your suffering can also bring people to God. When you open your mouth and speak to Christian, uh, non-Christians about your hope, they can often be very hostile. But they can also turn around. They can see how you take it on the chin, how you bear the suffering that they dish out to you. And that can really provoke conviction in their heart. And they can end up being brought to God because of your suffering, the way that you suffer when you open your mouth. It has happened again and again in church history. As people have suffered for standing true as a Christian, people have been converted as they've seen that person suffer for answering people as to why they are a Christian. So just like Jesus' suffering brought people to God, your suffering can bring people to God as well. And then lastly, how else is Jesus suffering a comfort? There is a comfort in the fact that Jesus suffered in the body but was made alive again. And I've already sort of touched on this when I spoke about his suffering once. Jesus suffered and died. And then what happened? Was it say in verse 18, halfway through? He was put to death in the body but was made alive by the Spirit. Your suffering may end up going to death. May not happen so much in this country, but it could. You don't know what the future holds. You could die as a result of defending the Christian faith. You could be put to death for it. I may face that more so as a minister and we put up, I write things on the internet and you never know what extremists might be out there and really hate what I say. I could die in this country. Christians have died in this country for defending the faith and it could be you. But where is the comfort in Jesus Suffering and death? The fact that he's made alive again. Verse 18. He was put to death in the body but made alive by the Spirit. Your suffering won't end in death and you go into some non-existent state. No, you're made alive again by the Spirit. Just like Jesus was raised to life as well. And so whatever man throws at you for opening your mouth about the gospel you can know that you're coming back to life. And you don't have to be afraid of them because you'll be made alive again. So, when you suffer, do you know that it's because God's will? Or do you think that somehow God is out of control when you suffer? Peter tells you it's God's will that you suffer. And when you suffer, is it because you do the right thing? Or is it because you do the wrong thing? Are you hurting at the moment because you have kept your mouth shut? That there are friends and family members who have been cruel to you and if you had opened your mouth in the past and spoken to them and they had become a Christian, they would be more loving to you right now. And when you suffer, do you turn to Jesus' death for comfort in suffering? Or do you turn to the television set or the refrigerator when you need comfort. Jesus' death is the ultimate source of comfort. God does give us many pleasures which help ease the pain a bit. 
But Jesus' death is the only source of true comfort. As you consider there, that he died unjustly. He suffered unjustly, just like you are suffering unjustly. He suffered once, and then it stopped. He brought people to God in his suffering. And he was made alive again by his suffering. And so you too will be made alive again. One day your suffering will end and you'll be resurrected to eternal life. Let us speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are all-knowing. You know about our suffering. We praise you also that you are all-powerful, that you are sovereign even of our suffering and working for our good. Lord, we do pray this morning that we may choose to suffer under the right circumstances for doing what is good that we may not choose to do what is evil and suffer but when we suffer it is because we've done the right thing and you are pleased with us Lord we pray that when we suffer also we may look to Jesus death his suffering and death for our comfort knowing that he knows what it is to suffer unjustly far more than we can imagine and that his suffering was once and finished and that his suffering brought people to God. May we have that in mind so that through our suffering we may see people come to God as well. And Lord, we pray that when we suffer we may look to Jesus' suffering and know that he was made alive again. Although he died for doing the right thing, he did come back to life and so will we. Lord, we pray that Jesus' death may be a great comfort to us and spur us on to do the right thing and to witness to those around us. And we pray this in his name. Amen.